progressive values are being challenged globally with right-wing governments getting out of fucking control by controlling women. These anti-feminist regimes want to take us back to when men were in caves and women were their property. While the mainstream media eggs them on with think pieces to question our right to live how the fuck we want. And they think we're just going to take it up the ass? Bitch, please. Join us, your favorite intersectional feminist bitches, to bring the wrath of intersectional bitchdom to these misogynist, racist, ableist, anti-LGBTQ, anti-poor motherfuckers by joining the bad and bitchy movement on our Patreon, where you'll get real feminist news, real feminist takes, and a real fucking intersectional feminism. You will support not only our pod, but our work on initiatives like Orders Up, where we hold the restaurant industry to account for their culture of sexual harassment. Visit patreon.com forward slash bad and bitchy to support independent feminist media in this time of resistance. These people need to be held accountable by those who are not in their back pockets and trying to get into cocktail events with them. Stay bitchy, my friends. All right, everyone, we're going to get started. If everybody could have a seat. Um, So I'd like to just kick things off um, by introducing myself and the Guild. My name is Anna, and along with Nadine and Heather from Wheelhouse and Katie and Regine from Victoire, we run the Guild. And we've been off on a bit of a summer break, so we're really excited to be back with our first fall event. And it is going to be lit. We have been hanging with the bad and bitchy gals, and it's going to be really, really fun. So um, thank you to those who have come back um, and to everybody who is here for the first time. Some quick housekeeping. The washrooms are right behind that back wall that says Cody's just um, behind there. Um, There's two washrooms that you can use there. There's bites, there's drinks, there's water that will be refilled throughout the night. If you need to grab uh, more wine or food throughout, no problem. You can stand up and go get that or go to the bathroom. We're going to do um, uh, about 45 minutes of, uh, uh, of a panel, and then we'll have lots of time for audience questions. I know there's a, a number of you with very specific examples you want to dive into, and so we'll have enough time to get into all of that. Um, so with that, I will turn it over. Oh, yes. And one more thing. Uh, we are recording this, so if you at the Q&A portion would like, not like to have your question on the eventual recording, please let us know, and we'll cut it. Does anybody have any questions about that? It's recording for a podcast. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, if you want to, you can come and talk to me if you would like to. Yeah, that, okay, perfect. So, um, um, I'm the editor, so you might want to... Actually, talk to her, and that's great. Talk to me. Because <laughs> I'm just going to talk to her. Um, Also, for those of you who have never been to the Guild, I'm going to explain what it is. Uh, So the Guild is a group of 
um, people who come together to help basically elevate each other's businesses. So the five of us got together because we were constantly texting and calling and learning from one another. Um, and we realized there are a number of incredible entrepreneurs, small business owners in the city who are keen to share what they know and love and are keen to learn from um, other business owners. And so this is our seventh event um, our seventh event, which is amazing, we're excited about. Um, and every uh, every time that we run an event, typically it's every two months, um, we have a different topic and a different theme. Um, we are very open to feedback, feedback on the space, feedback on the food, feedback on the speakers. And if there's a particular topic you're interested in, we want to hear from you. We send out um, uh, some uh, email feedback. So um, please keep your feedback in mind. Share it with us either um, in person or uh, or or over email is great. And uh, there will be time to network also at the end. Cool. With that, I'll turn it over to Heather. And I hope everyone has a great night. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Pop it up. All right. Welcome. It's been a hard uh, week, no? Like, it's been a hard couple of weeks. Hasn't it been a hard couple of weeks? I know. I know. Um, and so as shitty as those couple of weeks have been, I feel happy and I feel proud and I'm actually a little bit hopeful and excited that the guild happens to be doing a talk and we're not going to talk about Brett Kavanaugh I'm going to be honest but I'm happy that we're doing a talk that is so relevant well maybe <laughs> they might I can't control them um, uh, but I do feel proud that we are taking on such a timely topic and so just on Monday and I am going to read a quote because I was you know perusing Instagram as one is want to do. Uh, and I came across uh, Elizabeth Gilbert, Gilbert, who's an essayist and a novelist and, a, and an advocate and an uh, activist. And she wrote, and I'm reading it, my head exploded, can I be an activist and an advocate but still do the hard work of identifying my own blind spots? And I was like, oh, yes, we're on to something. We are on to something. So we're here um, to talk about blind spots, and we're going to get into that. And I think it's so cool um, that we are doing a topic that is so felicitous right to right now. Um, and we're going to talk about all this stuff. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I do want to introduce uh, the ladies who are next to me. Yeah. Um, this is Erica Eiffel. Uh, Erica is an economist turned entrepreneur. So she's one of us. Who founded her own digital media consulting business, Not In My Color. Uh, whose purpose is to build brands by building their communities online. Uh, she's also the co-founder of the Bad and Bitchy podcast. Um, and as you know, or you're going to know, they discuss political and social issues from an intersectional feminist perspective. Um, and so next to her is Erin G. She is a public servant, community organizer, wheelhouse cycle instructor. <laughs> that wasn't in her bio. I'm just, I'm taking liberties at this point. Um, and a writer trying to make the world suck a little bit less. Uh, she also co-founded the Bad and Bitchy podcast with Erica and another girl, Bailey, who is not on the um, podcast anymore, and, and believes in doing things that feed your soul. Lastly, we have Amy Kashek. Uh, she's a lawyer working to represent unionized workers in matters of labor and human rights law. She was previously a political staffer and has a master's degree in international political economy. She's worked with a number of organizations in federal lobbying and advocacy. And so you're like, yeah, yeah, we read that on the website, and that's information about them, and you want me to get to the good stuff. Um, so if you have never listened to their podcast, I just need you to know what you're in for. Um, <laughs> 
Their podcast opens this week, and I'm going to also quote you guys. Um, join, join us, your favorite intersectional feminist bitches, to bring the wrath of intersectional bitchdom to these misogynist, racist, ableist, anti-LGBTQ, anti-poor motherfuckers. That's just how they open. Like, that's not even the... That's just their opening. <laughs> so they're really fucking cool. Um, and over the next 30 to 45 minutes or so, I think you're going to have a good time with them. But honestly, you're only going to have a good time if you really leave yourself open um, to maybe your blind spots and recognizing some of them um, and maybe some of your own biases. Biases? Biases. Um, and that you probably don't know everything. You probably don't know very much. Like... It's just, just know that, and you'll have a great time. Um, and you'll get a chance to ask your own questions, so please, like, hang on to them. Um, and I feel like it's, they're going to be a lot. So here we go. Let's get going. Um, so let's start at the beginning. For those who don't know what the Bad and Bitchy podcast is, I want to know, what is it and why did you start it? Erin. So, like Heather said, um, Bad and Bitchy podcast, we talk about social issues, um, we talk about politics, Canadian, U.S., Australian, New Zealand, U.K., you name it, we talk about it. Um, we scour the internet all week. We all live on Twitter, um, and <laughs> our mental health probably suffers because of it. Um, and we pick the most pertinent, interesting topics that we can discuss and pick apart from an intersectional feminist lens. So what is intersectional feminism? So that is uh, a type of feminism that looks at all the different subsections of women. So socioeconomic status, um, a physical ability, mental ability. Um, race. Race. Uh, what else? I mean, you could even go as radical as body type, and um, what are some other ones? Language, class, class well, socioeconomic status, um, sexual orientation, yeah. all of those things, and how those, how policies and politics, uh, music, pop culture, and how all of those things um, kind of can relate back to those sections of people. Um, and so the podcast kind of started out with Erica and I in a Facebook group chat, literally with our friend Bailey, who had to leave the podcast due to her work not allowing her to continue. But she does help us out on some other things. So shout out to Bailey. Um, and uh, we were in a Facebook chat, and we would post these articles, and we would rant about them and talk about them and pick them apart. And then one day it was... International Women's Day, and Sophie Gregoire Trudeau, bless her little heart. No, fuck her. <laughs> I can't say that. Uh, I can. <laughs> <laughs> she posted something on her Instagram about she was holding the, the prime minister's hand, and she said something about, oh, we need to have men to, like, lift us up and, like, be women and be feminists. And we were like, no! I was personally offended. So we ranted about that, and then I don't remember who it was, but... It was me. <laughs> it was Erica. And uh, she said, you know what? We should make this whole conversation a podcast. 
and we're like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds cool. So uh, what are you guys doing on Saturday? So it was like a Wednesday or a Thursday. So the, that two days later, we met at Bailey's house and uh, with uh, an iPhone on voice memo in a like a mug. We recorded the very first podcast. Dude, I forgot about the mug. Yeah, just because it was <laughs> it was the only way we could um, get the phone to stay upright. Yeah, <laughs> so it could hear all of us. Yeah, or else we would be like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And so uh, we sat around Bailey's coffee table for a while with uh, her dog click clacking around on the hardwood, and uh, eventually, (laughs) the pod dog. (laughs) Eventually, we graduated and went to a studio, and now we own our own equipment. Yay! And so um, I know you. I know you're very busy. I know you have a full time job. I know. I, I now have learned that you other two. So why do you still do it? I know that it takes a lot of time. And we, the guild tried to do a podcast once. You know we promised you a podcast. We tried and we were like, man, this is like, I have no time for this. I'm tired. Like, why do you, I know you're busy. Why do you keep doing it? You, like, why? I think when you have a platform that is free, when you have something to say, and you can say it without um, having to please other people, without having to answer to other people. That's a really powerful thing. And I know that, like, for me, I really got into digital media because I felt I had no voice. And when I was in the government, I felt I had zero voice at all. And so I think that when you build something like that, and I have to say, I did not think, number one, it would become like a thing, and number two, I didn't realize it was another business, so. Right, Right. and so you are a business, you are, Um, I know you, we talk, you know, we chatted, I know you'd like it to even get even bigger, and so given you have a business, like, we're going to get into this uh, as entrepreneurs, do you have a set of values that is explicit, is it written out, have you, have you ever written down your values that you stand for in in the Bad and Bitchy podcast? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, and I think, I think it's a good question, because we were, Erica raised us this morning in our group chat. Um, she's like, oh, yeah, we don't have, like, a, a values charter or anything written down. And I was like, no, but, like, we all have very similar politics. We all have very similar interests on the Internet. And, like, we know very broadly, like, our guiding principle is intersectional feminism. And as long as we can kind of talk about something through that lens, then that's okay. I think that's a, like the very, very like general, but then it's always a conversation about when we start trying to get to the actual topics for the podcast, we have a Google Doc and we post things and we debate them and we say, oh, I think this isn't as relevant anymore for reason X and this is a more important thing for reason Y and we've got two American things, we need something else, or we need to lighten it up with something more pop culture. Like, there's a lot of other things. It's, but I think the guiding principle is intersectional feminism. 
Yeah, and I would add that it's it's fluid and it's almost meant to be. And so for some organizations, depending on your size, right, like there's value in having a really clear and cogent and transparent statement of values. But for us, working as a small group, that may not be suitable, and I don't think that it really is. At the core of any of these policies is the ability to adapt and to adapt with times. And sometimes we've corrected ourselves on our own podcast if we've misused the language or maybe we didn't do enough to be clear and do the educating piece. Or we've taken things down that maybe did a disservice or were triggering for some people or weren't contributing to the conversation in a way that reflected the values of equity also that we want to put out there. And so we're responsive and I think that's part of our value guiding principles as well that we we respond and we go back to those you know core why are we here why are we doing this and you know which side of the equation do we want to be on sometimes with when caught with comedy or humor are we punching up or are we punching down those sorts of questions we we revisit them and we challenge ourselves yeah and it's also um an acknowledgement of when we don't know something so will say like, oh, I imagine if I were in this situation and I was had a was differently abled, then I would maybe have this approach. But again, I don't know because I'm not and I can't speak for that population. And like we definitely have a lot of blind spots as a as a trio. Um, but we acknowledge them and we're willing and ready to cede the floor to those who have that expertise and experience. So what I'm hearing from you is you don't have an explicit value statement, but you know what your values are. You're always looking at things through an intersectional feminist perspective. And so my question is, if I, so now I, I'm, if these entrepreneurs are anything like me, I would be out there being like, shit, what's my value statement? Like, what are my values? What are my guiding principles for this business? So how important do you think it is for a business? I don't care if you have, like, 10 employees, 20, or just your one. How important do you think it is for a business not to have... I don't care if it's written out, but to have, like, explicit values by which you run your business. How important is it that you live them? That's the question. I think I think the three of us all try to live our values and that system. So I know like we challenge each other in terms of what is correct, placement, positioning, and all of that. We are sisters in this struggle and we are all trying to get to that promised land. And so <laughs> and so <laughs> I should, I know I should be a picture. <laughs> so it's funny when Amy came on board, like I think we were all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's because we saw her living those values. And when, like, like you guys said, you have to be flexible enough, but you really have to be humble and you have to know when you don't know something and I think that a lot of times we're expected to know a lot of things I know my lane I know my lane and I know when I start veering off and I'm like shit damn it (laughs) you know what I mean but and people will come be like I've had people like message me and be like girl I don't know about that and I'm like I, you know, your first instinct is emotional, and you're like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? But 
if you actually sit down and think about it and think about how that plays out to whatever you want to call it, your brand, your vision, your mission, then once you put that in terms of like a priority, then you have that you can be that humble and just be like, oh, I fucked up. Damn it. Okay. And I feel bad. Okay. So how am I going to fix this? Yeah, and I I would just add that I think that, like Erica said, you know, we each live our values and we each have our own lane and areas of expertise, but we also have our own personal brands on Twitter, on Instagram, and we stay true to those personas, so to speak. Um, But as a business, I think it's important to know what your values are, whether you write them down or not, whatever, but as long as you're living them, like Victoire, you know, you guys don't have you know, products that use child labor. Um, you have mostly Canadian um, products, and that's a very noble thing. You know, if you want to, um, I was telling someone earlier about uh, a friend of mine in Vancouver who started, weirdly enough, this like company based around banana bread. And then she became vegan, and now she tried to make her banana bread and all her other products vegan because she's super vegan. And so she's trying to live those values that she has personally through her own business. And I think the types of values probably depend on the type of business you are. Um, like if if you're vegan personally and you're you know, in the service industry, it probably matters a little less than if you're selling products. Um, I'm just guessing, but that's my take on it. Like, again, I'm not the expert, nor am I vegan, um, as my leather shoes would say. Um, but yeah, I think that it really depends on the industry you're in. I'm going to take a little bit of a different track on this. I, I think there is a huge value and having clear and set out value statements. And they don't have to be comprehensive. It doesn't have to be everything you've ever thought about. You have to think of who are these statements for. In part, they're for you, and that's a great exercise for yourself. Who am I? Why am I doing this? What, at the end of the day, would make me feel good about what I'm putting out there and make, you know, and... and, make the work that I'm doing meaningful for me. At the same time, if you're a business, you're also an employer, right? You're also a community member as a business. Your business entity has all of those things wrapped up in it. So what are you saying to the community about what your business is? What are you saying to prospective employees? So people are gonna come to your door and wanna submit an application. Are you an employment equity employer? Maybe not in the formal sense, but are you are you gonna put it out there so that people who, ha- who may otherwise feel marginalized may not feel safe in certain spaces, feel safe coming to you and applying to work there, knowing that they're going to have protections, knowing that you're, they're going to have, you're going to have their back, knowing that they can be themselves working in your workplace without being othered or treated differently. If that is a value that you have, which I hope you do, um, and uh, maybe we'll talk about human rights obligations later. I don't know. Ask me about them. But I think there is like a, a real value and putting that out there, being really upfront about that, I think it will be hugely beneficial to you and to building trust with the community. I, I don't know how much we want to get into like specific other examples. Like one example where, in terms of where a value statement became really important to correcting an incident um, 
locally, House of Targ, I don't know if you guys remember the incident where House of Targ invited a band that had like a really derogatory name and a lot of women who, uh, and black women specifically, who felt unsafe at going to Targ or felt targeted by them inviting a band with the name Black Pussy or whatever it was. Um, and there was a protest and there was a backlash to that and Targ's response was to invite people in and write a new mission statement after the fact. Would have been great if they had that up front and they could hold them and remind themselves every time they booked a band, hey, maybe we shouldn't book this band with the you know, misogynoir lyric or like name in it. That would have been good. But at least now they have a value statement that they can go back to and they've rebuilt that trust with the community. So sometimes things like projects like that, exercises like that will, will reap uh, benefits and will hold you yourself accountable and build trust with the community. That's awesome. You, you answered my next question, which was going to be like, do you have to have a value statement? And what are the consequences if you don't? And like, you, there they are, right? So like, if you'd had one, okay, maybe that wouldn't have happened. Okay, point, though. <laughs> there are lots of companies with value statements who don't live by them. And like for me, as a black woman, when I see we're an equi uh, equal opportunity employer, I think, bullshit. Because until I see your executive, your, your C-suite, until I see people of color, until I see women, I don't believe you are. So I think that, you know, I, I totally take Amy's point, and it's true. Like, we should probably think about doing that. <laughs> but at the same time, you have to be authentic about it. You actually have to hold yourself accountable. And I would just add that, you know, given the results of the Quebec election this week, that if you do are a business in Quebec, I think it's especially important to, like, really put those values out there so that marginalized people know that they can be entering as a, as a customer and as an employee a safe space because, you know, it's going to be really worrisome for a lot of people. We're going to have a rough ride for the next four years. Better fucking believe it. In both yes. <laughs> okay. I'm going to bring it back. I'm coming back to the blind spot. So we've talked about values and like it was really important for us to like talk about values because in, in or, until we can understand what our values are for a business, we can't really understand what our blind spot is because one comes from the other. So um, whether or not a business has an explicit value statement, whether they have it on their wall or they just have it in their business plan or they just have it in their mind or not, um, you are putting out there what your values are kind of every day through your Instagram, through your Twitter, through your the, the marketing that you do for your business and, and whatnot. Um, and so I want to get into the blind spot because that's what we're here to talk about. And probably if you were like me when the girls first brought this up, I was like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, what is a blind spot? And so here we go. Uh, this is, I'm going to give you an example of a blind spot, and I'm going to start off real, this is like baby steps, okay? Um, so I'm going to give you an example. A friend of mine recently bought a baby uh, gift, um, and when the baby gift was delivered to her house, um, she opened the package, and the package said, hide package from husband. Um, it's adorable, right? And so uh, we were talking about it, and I was like, oh, actually, like, it's not adorable, actually. It's only adorable if you are a person who is, I guess, married to a man. And so if you are a single parent or a queer parent or 
any other kind of parent that is not somebody that's married to a man, you're like, open up this package and you're like, oh shit, what the fuck? Also, just other like underlying stereotypes within that messaging, like you're married and, and just like, you know, that like, well, women are silly and they overbuy things and like that is the subtext of this packaging. Um, and so I can't remember what the friend told me. I think she said she wrote them, but I, I will get back to you on that. Um, and so I think if I was telling this story to my parents, they'd be like, that's just cute packaging. And, and I would argue it's not cute packaging. It's like antiquated, heteronormative advertising. And so my question is this. Um, I know why it bothers me, um, but should it bother me, and is it okay for companies to advertise? Because I know y'all are out there like, oh, God, what have I done with my jam business or, like, whatever your packaging you're using? Like, I know you're all out there like, fuck, like, thinking back, thinking back, thinking back. So, like, is it okay for me to upset? Should I be? And, like, is it okay or not okay? Discuss at your leisure. Uh, yeah, you should absolutely be upset. I mean, why not, right? If you're upset, you should feel it. You should write in. You should certainly vocalize that. Um, and I think you're, you'll be a good ally if you write in. If you're not, uh, if you don't, if you don't, yourself don't feel captured by the the targeting of that message as well. You know, I'm sure that that's very unwelcome, really unsettling. I would probably be really upset if I received that, and that was not my situation. And I think that's important to like think about that. Um, at the end of the day, it's not, it, you know, it, what's, cu what's cute for some person, what's good advertising, it's not the, like, that's not the only definition of what makes a good business model or business approach. It may have been quippy, it may have been a good thought, but maybe a couple more rounds of brainstorming wouldn't have hurt these people. You know, it's not, I th feel like a lot of people get really married to these, their ideas, especially in business and in marketing, and they put them out there and they, like, expect to, they're waiting for positive re reception. And when they don't get that, there's like this like knee-jerk defensiveness that comes out. And I mean, you have to take a beat and think about what is the, the point of marketing? What is the point? Like, what do you want your brand to stand for? What do you want people to feel when they get that package? If one in a hundred people feels really shitty or othered or marginalized or put off or feels like returning your product or whatever else, like you sh that should absolutely be a factor. And literally two more thoughts in that round of brainstorming that got you that idea probably would have prevented that hardship and pain experience on the other end of receiving it, right? I don't know if that answers your question, though. It totally does. Do you want to keep going? I was just going to say it sounds like Don Draper wrote that, and definitely not Peggy. <laughs> Peggy would never write that. <laughs> So I'm going to, should I bring up Reebok? Not yet. Oh. Not yet. And so, okay, I'm, I am going to push, I'm going to push back like a tiny bit. So I'm the owner of that store and I am a woman married and I have a baby and I think this is adorable. How, if I am just a sole proprietor, as many of us are, um, how do I, and given this is a blind spot for me as the owner of that store, how how to move forward how do you how do you spot that how do you spot that well who's in your circle like who yeah. are you hanging out with like that's what i want to know so again the question so i'm this like no i mean I, you are you're we're getting there but i'm just like i'm this single gal owning this shop just trying to make some bucks and i think this is cute and I don't have any friends who aren't married, I guess. I don't know. Like, 
what am I doing? Am I calling, I'm calling up my one gay friend, like, and saying, hey, is this offensive? Or, like, what? So, like, I, we, like, pra- like it's practical. How, what does this look like? Yeah, so we, uh, the three of us, uh, are at the pod, as the podcast, um, we are engaged in a grassroots alliance for the municipal election about women's issues or gender issues. And so we've built this platform and uh, now what, Ottawa? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, we want to examine policies at the city level through a gender lens, which includes all of those various um, s- sections of people. So it sounds so clinical. I'm so sorry. I just couldn't think of the actual word. Segments, that's the word segments of the population. And so when you make a policy, you think about, okay, so how does this policy affect women differently? And how does it affect lower income people differently? And how does it affect lower income women differently? And so we went through, I don't know, there's like 11 different, seven different policy areas, 11 different policy areas. And you have to go through, okay, so housing. What does housing look like for poor women? What does housing look like for women who are addicted to drugs? What does housing look like for women with children who are poor? What does housing look like for survivors of sexual assault? And you go through all of these different experiences, and sometimes it helps to just write them out, you know, especially if it's, you're just one person. You know, you think about, in this example in particular, you think about, okay, so I'm in a heterosexual relationship, and I'm married. What other types of arrangements are there? There are heterosexual relationships that are common law. There are single parents of either gender. Uh, there are, you know, same-sex relationships, whether you're married or not. Uh, there are, you know, you could be transgender. You could be non-binary. There's all of these various different things that these people could be, and just list them out and be like, oh cool, what could, if I say, hide this from your husband, who does this not apply to? And if it doesn't apply to everyone, it's probably not the best decision. Can I add that um, as a company, as your brand, you really do need to start with what is it I want to say and what it is, what is it that I want to put out there. I, I find it interesting that when you're when you go through marketing, you do all these personas, and yet, and you pick them apart, and this is your target market, and this is that. Why don't we do that with people with marginalized communities, with people who are not white and male and cis and and able and of a socioeconomic scale? We don't do that, and I don't understand that because you're you know. The amount of times I've been through the whole marketing thing with your audience personas, this person and that person and that person, and I'm like, but they're all the same. So, like, we got to ask ourselves why we don't do that. Is it because we don't want to approach the issue? And I think there's a lot of fear there. And so, as a business owner, like, what is the responsibility? Like, how much, like, what if I'm just like, you know what? I'm trying to just get by here. I'm just trying to make payroll. I'm just trying to pay my staff, like pay myself. 
what is, I guess, the responsibility of like a local Ottawa entrepreneur to take these things into consideration and 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 take the actual time to sit back and like, okay, how is this going to affect this group of people in this group? Like, what are? Well, I mean, you have obligations as a business to certain human rights codes, right? Certainly for your employees, you can't be seen to discriminate. And that is not just direct discrimination of, you know, saying a slur to one of your employees or undercutting, underpaying, a, well, actually, the underpaying is not clear whether it's direct or systemic, but, but their ma discrimination will manifest itself in different ways. And so creating an environment where there is uh, an expectation that everyone is in a heterosexual relationship and you run a business where you're selling baby clothes, but you have employees who feel, you know, other by that, that they can't contribute or that their contributions are dismissed or even that they feel that they're, they may start feeling that they're being passed up, that their ideas are being ignored. You are, you have a lie, you, I mean, I hate to say it in terms of liability, but you do have a liability issue vis-a-vis -vis your relationship to those employees, right? You also have that relationship with your customers as well because customers are also entitled to protection from, from discrimination in certain business relationships. So you have to either, I mean, I don't want to talk about the sticks because that's not as fun as talking about the carrots of people coming to your business and wanting to be loyal to you and patrons to you because you do good things. And there is that. And hopefully that's what you're thinking of first. But if you don't think about that, the consequence, there are certainly sticks. And you don't want to wait until someone is filing a human rights complaint because the thing that you did uh, actually hurts them. Um, and, think, and, and when you think about blind spots, it's not just, you know, someone feeling left out of your work or feeling disappointed by your work, but there could be very real implications for that. I mean, maybe not with the, the male, but that could be one thing. But it may be in your hiring practices that you have these blind spots, that you, you know, when someone comes in for an interview, you look at certain candidates a certain way, that how they're presenting, how they're dressed, what their hair is like. And then you only pick us in all of your, maybe one day you turn around and you realize all your staff all look the same way. You don't want to wake up and realize all your staff look the same way and the person, the last person to apply is now at the Ontario Human Rights Commission filing a complaint about you. Don't get to that point. You have to think about those things all the time and you should. When you uh, referenced the sticks, I didn't realize you were talking about like a stick and a carrot. I thought you meant like, I thought you were like, talking about like Barhaven. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> No, like it consequences. Will, <laughs> uh, but um, I would like to ask, um, so number one is that picking up from Amy's point is that it's not just going to manifest in the packaging. It's going to manifest everywhere in your business. And my question to you is, do you want to grow? Um, keeping on this like blind spot and that like that was like that was the baby step so if you're already like a little bit in a tizzy like it's just packaging you're really not gonna like this one um, so I was listening to your podcast I just like to you know let you know how you're gonna feel um, or you might so I was listening to your podcast and in uh, you're gonna talk about it but you said everything's contextual everybody what well, may work for one may not work for the other because the context changes and then you follow it up with and that's when you know there were no black people in the room to make that decision so representation matters what were you talking about like let's get into that one because 
That's next level now. Okay, I, re I remember this is just the latest episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was talking about Reebok, and oh God, you're going to make me say her name, aren't you? Oh God, I can't remember her name. Okay, so did you guys see Black Panther? <laughs> Okay, so you know Okoye, the general? Remember when she was in the red dress and she had the wig and she flipped the wig? And Do you remember that fight scene in China? Anybody? You remember. <laughs> I know you remember. Because you were like, yes, yes, girl. Because that was my reaction. Anyway, um, the general was played by a woman. I, I, I'm terrible with names. This is a running joke on the podcast. So I'm not going to say her name, but her name was Okoye in Black Panther. Um, she was she was dating the guy who eventually betrayed them. Does anybody remember? Oh, you do. Okay, anyway. All this to say that um, it's on Netflix, y'all, so you can go back and watch. So, yeah. <laughs> so Reebok did um, an advertising campaign with her, with Gigi Hadid, and a couple of other people. And on the on her part, it said something about stand on my shoulders so everybody can can advance or something something like that. And black Twitter <laughs> did not like it. And I personally felt offended. And the reason is the context. And the context is that black women have been um, slaves, the help, and get very little recognition for the work we do, especially within feminism. Um, and other movements. And so the idea that a black woman should act as a mule for everybody else was fucking insulting. It enraged me. And it enraged a lot of other people on Twitter. Now, I'm looking at the faces right now, and, and half of you guys are like, I don't get it. And that's fine. That is fine. But the conversations that are happening are a are that context, are how you see us. And that matters. It matter, And it's going to come out, and it's going to matter in your packaging. It's going to matter during your marketing. It's going to matter with the husband thing. It's going to matter. And I think that I always say content is king, but context is queen. And the queen rules the roost. <laughs> So just, I think, an exa another example of how um, black women don't necessarily get the recognition and a lot of, you know, other predominantly white people take, uh, take the, the steering wheel. Um, how many people in the room knew that the Me Too movement was started by a black woman? Toronto Burke. Burke. So, like, maybe a handful? Yeah, Toronto Burke. So it was started by a black woman and it's been co-opted by the Rose McGowans of the world. So that's just an example. So, okay, um, I'm just thinking, like, so it's Reebok, and they are this huge company, and I'm guessing they have a marketing department, and I'm guessing they have a legal team, and they still put that out. And so if I'm an entrepreneur now, entrepreneur now, am I like, 
Jesus Christ, I'm paralyzed now. I don't know what I can do. What, like, what do you say to those people who are just like, well, I just don't know what's okay anymore? Because I know that's what, like, my mom is saying. I just don't know what I can say. Like, what do you say to those people? I know what the half the room's thinking that. <laughs> I keep using my mom, but like, but like, what what happens? Like, when they're like, I just can't say anything. Like, everything's offensive. What, like? What's the answer for those people? Well, I think for a long time, there were a lot of people who couldn't say a lot of what they wanted to say because they were so outside of our discourse or othered in some way or forced to assimilate into thinking. So I don't have a lot of patience for the argument that you can't say what you want to say anymore uh, because I think a lot of us have been like biting our tongues just to like get by and pass in white culture for a really long time. So setting that aside, there's still a lot you can say and do. Um, And again, I think like this is where you think back to what your values are as a person, right? Like your guiding principle is you don't want to do harm to other people. You want to be welcoming to folks. You want your, you want to create a space where people feel safe and you want them to love the thing that you're doing. Probably I'm sure you want them to like love your product and be a fan of yours or, you know, spend the money. Let's be crass. You want their money. Okay, sure. Totally. How are you going to get that? By being a dick? By, like, alienating them? By making them feel unwelcome? Making them feel like they have to put on, like, a front to enter your shop? Or to, again, present a certain way? Or do you want staff that are, you know, uniform and on tiptoes and can't live? You know, like, that's, like, I think that's really what it's about. And if you go back to the core principle of, of empathy or inclusion, for, you know, whatever the terms you want to use, I think empathy and inclusion probably, we all, are we cool with empathy and inclusion? Like, is anyone here, like, not down with empathy and inclusion? Can you feel, like, icky about that at all? <laughs> then we're like, wow. Get the fuck out. <laughs> I think that I think that's really what it comes down to, and you see this in so many um, conversations that are happening now. Right, for a really long time, in uh, you know workplaces the world over, right, like sexual harassment or harassment of any kind was you know seen as a joke, the norm, not really anything to be bothered about. And now people are, are questioning and thinking like. Well, what does make a happy workforce? People are leaving in extremely high numbers. Women aren't staying after a certain point because they feel so devalued or because they have had these really traumatic experiences. And it's not just workers' advocates, but it's employers who are now saying, like, well, how do we have a happy, healthy workforce partially for productivity reasons, partially for a bottom line, but also because we want to do work and we want to do it right And we want to do it right the first time, not like three times later after we've been told we've done it wrong, right? Okay, so uh, this is going to be the last question from me. And I want to end it on a more positive note. So, like, who is doing it? And you led me right in there. Thank you. We couldn't have planned this better. Who, what are examples of companies? And I know Nike. Yeah, we are all in love with Nike right now because there are new ads. Like, yeah, we know them. But what companies, in your opinion, local, I would love if you could give a local example. But otherwise, no, fine. Like, well, who's doing it right? When you see their Instagram, you're like, fuck, yeah, that's awesome. Feminist twins. 
I, I, they're not really a business, I don't think, but... No, they're, they're like a, a... They have a blog, a website, they host some events. Give me someone who wants to make money. <laughs> and who is also, like, doing it right out there in the world. Um, I would say Bread by Us, probably. Yeah. They, they're kick-ass. No, here? Sarah and Jess no. are not here. I'm, I'm going to fucking, like... <laughs> they go to my gym, I'm just going to be like, where were you? <laughs> I would also say Bar Robo. Yes. They have a sign in their in the entryway of their um, cafe where it says, this is a safe space. If you're homophobic or whatever, whatever, you're not welcome. Oh, by the way, so Bar, somebody just messaged me and was like, hey, we want to interview you. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, cool. Um, they're like, we could either meet at Carlton or Bar Robo. I'm like, Bar Robo. And the reason I chose Bar Robo is because of that. So they got a new... I've never been there. I just know that they've shown up to our um, orders up. Uh, our, we did a workshop about sexual harassment in the restaurant industry in the spring. But they showed up. And then I was like, yeah, I totally want to go there. They just got a new customer. So you heard that. Bar Robo, check them out, see what they're doing. Bread's by us, check them out, see what they're doing. And uh, I'm actually going to give it up to you guys, uh, to any questions that you have for these. Cool. So we'll pass the mic around for questions, and you you can ask uh, general questions or specific questions about um, your business. Um, Maybe I'll start just to get the ball rolling. Um, So many people here... What? Was that a weird movement? (laughs) I'm so sorry. I've been having a lot of fun. Yeah, no, sorry. Excitable, it's the it's cute. I'm very it's, sorry it's to- about that. You're getting um, that excitement. Yeah. You actually, <laughs> you actually remind me of somebody who does that. She's like, my name's Julia, and and it's just the, anyway, so it's positive. I don't control any. I can't control anything. Um, so here's my question: Many of us have employees. Uh, we hire people who we hope uh, exemplify our values. our employees come and they work for us and hopefully we onboard them and we share what we care about. Sometimes uh, our employees do things in their personal lives and sometimes they post about things in their personal lives and we happen to have them on Instagram or Facebook. Um, What is your take on someone who you employ um, posting something on their personal, like, uh, like posting something or doing something in their personal life that does not match your values. Um, what is your right as an employer? What, it, like, you know, do you look the other way? I'm looking at you, Amy. I, it, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Do you look the other way? What do you, like? What responsibility do you have as as an employer when um, when this type of circumstance comes up? Sure. Great question. Um, Off duty conduct, which is what that would be, and is not something employers should really step in to encroach on. People have a right to a certain privacy, to a personal life, no matter how shitty it could be sometimes, okay? But there is obviously a line, and online actions can seep into the workplace. So if their online conduct is not just like that, whatever, they're a prick and... I don't even know. Let's, Let's use an example of they're harassing a colleague then that becomes your problem, and that and and cyberbullying and some you know because this actually 
becoming more of the th of a thing now, more protected. A few years ago, folks probably would have successfully argued it's off-duty conduct. It doesn't seep into the workplace. We know that's not true anymore. And, and, and whether it's harassment that happens outside of work, then that becomes your issue. If it's a not harassment or doesn't seem to be encroaching on that level, then they, you have to kind of take a more measured response because the right to privacy is actually really significant. I, I would add, so as a public servant, like I definitely toe the line. Like I'm a nonpartisan public servant and I've never joined a political party because I am so nonpartisan and I vote based on issues. That said, I try to stay out of the like federal, what we talk about federally. I'm like, cool, like I don't criticize the policies per se. I criticize you know, the marketing behind them or how they're presented to the public. And it, it very much toes the line. But it, like for Wheelhouse, it is a different example because I, I, I hide my public servant persona online. I don't talk about work anymore. I used to. But I, I talk about Wheelhouse a lot, particularly on Instagram. And I use Instagram predominantly to promote my spin classes, to promote Wheelhouse and everything <laughs> spin-related because I have to build up my own personal brand as an instructor. So I have to identify as a Wheelhouse instructor to build that thing, and I, you know, you can, whatever. So I think, yes, Amy's correct, but I think that there is a different thing, whereas if you are identifying as a member of an organization and using social media as a predominant, like a way to build your following based on that thing, I think there is a bit of an obligation to kind of not necessarily have your ass and your tits hanging out all the time and like being a little bit respectful. Right, that's a question for you as an employee. The question was, what can the employer do? And I think the employer is a kind of on shaky ground in certain contexts. What I will also add, though, about employee conduct, because there could be, it also depends on the employee and the role. So in your scenario, I assume that let's say it's a uh, a worker who is like I don't know, like a, a cashier at your store or something, or, or someone going around to a reporter saying "fuck her right in the pussy." Well, that, is that different? Uh, a, a little bit different. And that case didn't end the way you think it ended. Actually, that person was reinstated. So, but it depends. It depends on their profile. So, let's say you have linked accounts, and that person can post on your account, and everyone knows who's posting, and they know their identity. Then that comes into the scope of the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. If they are a figure that people attach to the work you're doing, then that may be an issue. But if it is solely something they're doing privately and friend to friend, you saw it, that th then, you know, you, you have to maybe take a step back and, and watch. But Thank you. Can, can I just ask a follow-up? Like, so this is specifically Erin said that she uses her social media to promote herself as a wheelhouse cycle instructor to locations. <laughs> That's a joke. Uh, so if she says something incredibly homophobic, racist, something like in the context of promoting herself as a wheelhouse cycle instructor on her Instagram, can we Or, or even down? like immediately following. Like I'm like, oh, I'm teaching like these classes this week. And then the next time I'm like, fuck whatever. Like fuck gay people, for example. What? Like is there any recourse given that she's like. Ew. Okay. I, 
I represent workers. So I'm really not here to give advice to managers, so I'm going to be really careful. I'm also not here to give legal advice. I just forgot to put that disclaimer at the front. So I'm going to do it now, and it's not, not in response to this question necessarily, but you could definitely have a conversation with her. Yeah. Um, I would like to add how many of you have a social media policy for your business and for your employees, because I think that needs to be spelled out too. It, um, one of the examples, so one of the examples of a good social media policy is Nordstrom. I don't know about Nordstrom here, but Nordstrom in the U.S. has a pretty decent one where it's open enough, but it does spell out their values and what the expectations are. You really do need to tell people what you expect from them. I don't know if that policy would hold up mustering, like in the Canadian jurisdiction. You can't. You can have a social media policy, and you can have maybe a statement of values that your employees sign off to. But you cannot control what they do off the clock. You can't, unless it has a connection with what you do at work. No, but what I'm saying is, if you state in the beginning what you expect from them, I'm not saying that they're not going to go and do fucked up shit. I'm just saying that the die has kind of been cast. You've, you've framed it. Well, I'm not talking in a legal sense. My question is pretty simple. Um, I was basically wondering uh, how you feel in relation to blind spot, um, how you feel that relates to uh, businesses and their target market. I understand there's vision and there's mission and that sort of thing, and that's important. But inevitably, you know, all businesses cannot be everything to everyone. I think that's, that's really challenging, and I think it's, it's virtually impossible. As long as you're not offending and, you know, you have empathy for everybody, how, you know, blind spot versus target market. How do you speak to that? Yeah, so, like, I'm going to use Wheelhouse as an example. Like, the, from, from my, my experience, like, the target market is college-age students to, you know, whatever age. You know, men and women, probably more likely women because women are more likely to do group fitness and the type of group fitness we do. Um, but it's a very wide, wide net. You're casting a wide net, so you have to probably be more mindful. Whereas if you've got an Etsy shop or you've got a clothing store, you're targeting women or trans people or people who identify as women. Um, so you're but you're also kind of targeting men. You know, you're targeting partners to like for them to come purchase things for their their spouses or their girlfriends. You're so I think or that or sorry? Or people who have interests outside of delineated gender yeah, roles. You, you, people are gonna have to buy gifts, you know? Like so you want to be like, oh well like, you know, Joyce is gonna like earrings from Victoire. I just bought earrings from them yesterday. <laughs> Um, so I think you have, I don't know, it's, you're obviously not going to be every, like you said, everything to everyone, but yeah, knowing your target market and like, in the example of like the, the marriage and the baby thing, like everyone has a baby, like any, anyone can have a child. You do not have to physically birth it. So, you know, you have to cast a wider net again, but you know, if you're selling, I don't know like skirts. There's a company in Vancouver that sells party skirts. You're very clearly targeting college-age girls, girls in their 20s. 
You're probably not targeting. Not them. necessarily. You could be targeting Jonathan Van Ness or anyone That's true. who doesn't exactly. abide by gender bias. Exactly. The question misses the the point a little bit, and and I think we're we're losing sight of the the whole idea of target market may be flawed to begin with, because it may be starting from a position that has these assumptions about gender imbued in it. Anyone could wear earrings, literally anyone. It's not, there may be a preference, there may be a disproportionate number of, you know, femme folks who wear earrings and skirts, but not necessarily. If you have a vegan bakery, you're targeting vegans, which can be all genders, all... Yeah, exactly. So, I guess the point is that we really have to redefine what that target market is. And we really have to redefine probably in terms of the experience and not in terms of who these people are and what they look like. For me, business has never been linked to target market. It's been linked to my personal core values, which are made up from my life experience, my age, my circumstance, my background. And that's where you grow from. And as long as you're open to dialogue and conversation, you don't take a hard stand and you continuously grow. But it's linked in those personal core values and attachment to community. And that's the standpoint and that's where you start from. That was much more eloquent than I me. I could not agree with you more. I think the whole idea of the persona example is flawed. And it puts people in boxes, and we're not that. We're dynamic. We grow. We, we change. We explore. We have different experiences. You can have, uh, I, you know, even if we drill down, actually, that's the problem with data, I got to say. So this reliance on data and marketing really irks me for that reason. And data is very informative, yes, but it can only drill down so far. So if we give, so for example, if I came up with your persona, who is basically your twin in the data um, algorithm AI kind of way, um, you're still not going to be the same. And there's still going to be things that you like that she wouldn't. And I really do think that this idea that we can divide people up and, and judge them in terms of an algorithm is disgusting. It's just a comment, but we've been in business for 12 years and I just had an aha moment of why. Because we get asked all the time, like, who's your target market? Who's your target? And I always hate answering that question because it feels like something very difficult to answer in the little canned response that people yeah. expect. And it's, I think it's precisely that. It's flawed from the get-go. It's, I cannot tie it to a target. I, I start to, like, ramble on. I'm like, well, it's really about people who are, you know, totally. And I, I think you said this earlier, too, that I think target markets maybe initially when we started businesses are helpful. But if we want to grow, we absolutely have to speak to other people outside of our, you know, what we know. And Look at Giant Tiger. It's targeted to, well, you know what? But look who's shopping. Everybody. Like you I shop at Giant Tiger. Well, no, that's I what I'm saying. No it's it's quant. like it's like when we have these target groups. It's such an old thinking, but so are so many things. But you just have to yeah, move on. I I agree. I agree. 
I agree. So why don't we ask the question, what kind of experience do you want the customers who come into your store to have and to leave with? Even everybody can have a bad day. Like, first of all, we got to stop overrating everything. That's another thing, what I think. Like, everything gets so torn apart by this and this and this. Sometimes it's really just this person behind the counter has a really fucking bad day. Maybe somebody died. Maybe it's sick. All these things. So sometimes there's nothing to do with who is in front of you. Black, white, whatever. Whatever it is. Just sometimes people have a bad day. So I think that's also another thing which has to be considered by the consumer or by the, what do you call us? Employer, Employer or whatever. Like, like it's, 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 it's a human base. Like, you got to look at it like maybe as just like you're a blind person or you're a deaf person. You don't hurt. You just have to be a good person no matter what. And that's what it comes down to. Okay, I'm going to push back a little on that. And I'm going to say, yes, people have bad days, but they don't have the right to call you the N-word on their of fucking course. bad day, for example. No, of course I know what not. you mean. Oh, I know course. what you mean. I know what you mean. I'm not saying that's what you're saying. No. I'm just taking the that's hyperbole just to say... like. Before, but that's for me not even acceptable. That's right. for me like even like a, that's not even in my mind that's something... But he would do something like this. So that's, but guess. you have to understand that for somebody like me, that's not that far out there. I'm German. Trust me. I get it. Otherwise, <laughs> I get other things. Not color. I think we have a question up here. Um, yeah, I don't think this is going to be easy to answer, but it's been in my mind lately um, as a business owner seeing a business that's within our area put up something so atrocious that that there was a private group chat about it saying like who i can't believe this is out there is this wellington diner you know it might be (laughs) that and others right this is not their first offense i know i know and as a person i understand my spending dollars and where i'm going to put them and am i going to meet you there for brunch no Um, Am I going to recommend someone when they finish their spin class on Saturday if they say, where's a good place for brunch? I'm not going to say there. Um, But as a business, I'm like, what? Like, Heather and I have had this conversation. I'm like, what more can we do? It's almost like we're not sticking our head in the ground because I know what I'm not going to recommend, but I'm also not really standing up and saying anything. So I wonder, like, what is it my responsibility to make sure this community, um, people walking into it as a whole, not just wheelhouse, but all of it, feels safe? How do you ally? Exactly. Help me ally. Yeah, it could, it could really be something as simple as just posting something on your social media and saying that, you know, this is a safe space and we welcome everyone regardless of X, Y, and Z. So you don't have to call you, out. You don't have to call out, but you can call in right. them and others. I like that. Boom. I know I personally, I know a lot of people would feel comforted. There is, I don't, I don't think you understand how much something like that matters and how it's taken. And, you know, especially in the times that we're in, especially when you see a Wellington Diner type of, of thing where they, they disparage Muslims, um, it's not only... Muslim people who are go- who might f- may 
or may not, I'm not going to say, but you are calling in everybody who's experienced something like that. Because remember, there's a property of adjacency when it comes to media and digital media. It means that I am not, I may not be directly affected, but my life experiences might lead me to you because you said that. We have time for one more question. Does anybody one? have one? Really? <laughs> and and if we and if we don't, yeah, all right. And then and then we'll have time for one more little sweet sweet thing at the end. Uh, so my question is, uh, like, it's probably happened to lots of us where you say something or do something, especially on social media. Someone calls you out and it's like, oh, that was, you, you, like, you, you did something that was in your blind spot. What do you think is a good way to apologize and to more move forward from that? I think, uh, I mean, start with an apology. Start with what you would do if it was someone who you knew. Um, you know, the best defense is in an absolute, like, there, you know, there's no good defense of these situations. And certainly trying to absolve yourself um, will will only make matters worse. I think you have to show that you're genuinely responsive. So saying, I'm sorry, but this is what I intended is not really an apology, just to be <laughs> really clear about what apologies are. But like a genuine apology, because I think a lot of people lose sight of that, right? Like they they say the words, but then the, the, you know, the actions or the things that follow don't quite take that into account. And then ask the person what they're looking for as well. So there's a public apology, but then there's also the accountability to the person who's raising this with you. And it sounds like that's going to take a lot of time, but it really isn't. It's just reaching out to a person who's taken the effort to reach out to you. And I think people lose sight of that. They think it's really easy to tweet at a business and call them out. It's, it's actually not. Having done it, and, and especially in situations where you are the subject of the criticism or like feel targeted by something and you're responding then to the business, it takes a lot to do that. It takes a lot of courage to do that. It takes a lot of courage to do it publicly. I think we act as if call-out culture is really easy and it's slacktivism and people, you know, do it because it's it's convenient or it's funny or they enjoy snarking online, but it actually does take a lot and you're, you're, you're putting yourself out there in a way that may invite her online harassment, may invite, you know, threats depending on who you're critiquing, right? So when someone's critiquing you, know that. Know that it's taken a lot for them to come to you, especially if their day-to-day experience is challenging racism, is challenging homophobia, is challenging the things that connect to their immutable characteristics, like who they really are. And they've come to you and they've identified this thing. So reach out to them individually and ask them what they want, right? So with sexual harassment, we're talking a lot about like a survivor-centric model or like listening to survivors or believing survivors. And I think this applies for every form of discrimination discrimination or harassment, you know, regardless of the grounds that we're talking about, that matters. So what is the, what is the person who's coming to need from you? Sometimes it may just be an acknowledgement and, or a small apology, or maybe they've taken it upon themselves to educate you. That's also really huge. You know how hard it is to be out there educating people all the time? It's really hard, and it's emotional labor. 
It's it actually it should be compensable. It's work. It legitimately is work. And so someone's coming to you. They've identified to you your blind spot. They may be offering to educate you or have a conversation with you. Take that opportunity. They're doing you a favor. They're giving you free labor at this point. That's amazing. Accept it. Be listen. Be ready to listen. And then what's the ask? Maybe they want you to take it down. Maybe they think what you posted, for example, is hurtful, and that other people are going to see it and be hurt by it. Don't stick to your guns and say, well, it's up and it's got like a thousand likes, so I can't remove it because then my, you know, social media clout number will like decrease. Take it down. That's the ask. It's really simple. What's the hard trip to you to take it down? Honestly, it's nothing. It may feel like something in the moment, but what you're giving to that person is huge. And what you're doing for all sorts of other people who maybe didn't come to you is also huge. And so for each person who complains to you, it. It's very. I see a lot of people respond saying, oh, it's just one person. They're really upset. This person complains about everything online. Who are they? I guarantee you for each one of them, there are countless others who probably saw it, thought the same thing and were like, fuck my life. I got to get off the internet. I'm deleting Twitter today because we see this shit all the time, right? And so think about that as well. And, and so do a heartfelt apology to that person, maybe even publicly if it merits it, and try to hold yourself accountable and, you know, I think that maybe it's all that, like, that's the core of what we're asking for is accountability, right? Um, also, this is where, like, humility comes in. And I would say, um, so I would say the first step would be to reach out and to actually not only offer your apology, but how can I make this better? How can I do better? I mean, there's nothing wrong with asking that question. And I can guarantee you that the person on the receiving end will be like, oh my God, like, because oh. nobody does that. Nobody. Because everybody, everybody wants to sweep things aside. I'm doing this. I'm not a bad person. I'm trying to do good. Da 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 da. And we all screw up. All of us. We're all trying to find our way in this new sort of paradigm. Um, so I would say even even say, look, I want to I want to post this apology. I this is kind of what I want to say after you've had that discussion. Is this okay with you? Do you feel safe with me doing that? And I think that you can probably get more more of a gain out of it than you ever risk losing. Thank you. I would, so this is the, any last pressing questions? Just want to check in. Anyone like, okay, so we're going to close out with. Nobody wants to tell us we're full of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're going to close out. So we have got some of, I mean, we've got incredible business owners from Ottawa in this room who obviously give a shit about this stuff and they want to learn and they care and maybe they don't have all the answers but they're very interested in learning from each other and from all of you. So I would love it and Heather you should participate Um, I would love it if you could just share one piece of critical advice for each business owner here to take away 
to um, to become more inclusive and to uh, to find ways to identify those blind spots that everybody has um, and to start to um, yeah to shape their businesses for like you said growth and um, to improve so I'll pass the mics back and if you could each just share a tip to Ottawa business owners that'd be great I don't know that I, I, don't I do know. want me. I yeah, can start. Heather, yes, I can start. Please. Am I a part of this? I'm Heather, a part of this. Um, you're going to lose people when you do things that are like true to yourself. Like we've lost people. Nadine and I have lost people at Wheelhouse. We've lost staff um, because they didn't like the way our branding was going. They didn't like the way um, who we were featuring. They didn't like the things that we were saying. They didn't like that we used the word fuck. Like, we lost people, and, and, and that's okay. We also gained people who love the word fuck. Um, <laughs> and, 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 we, and we lost people. We lose clients all the time, I'm sure, that, that we don't even know. We did August. We just made Pride Month. Like, we didn't do a week or a day. We just made it the month. Um, and so we probably lost people on that. It was, but, it was gay AF. It was super gay. <laughs> Um, I don't know who we lost because no one called me and said I'm not coming back because you like gay people. Like, but but probably we lost people. Uh, so you're gonna lose people if you stand for something. Uh, we don't care that we lose those people. We're just like bye. And so you're gonna lose people, but you're gonna gain people. And the people you gain will be so fucking loyal. They will come to everything you do. They'll show up at your talks. You know. <laughs> And, and they won't go anywhere. They'll be there for a long time. So you're going to lose people, but you're going to gain people. That's what I'd say. Um, Better people. Yes. Pay attention to the conversation, I would say. There are lots of conversations happening. Social media really is the water cooler of our time. And, you know, not only do we, are there memes being shared, et cetera, et cetera, but cultural practices, cultural context can change on a dime. A year ago, everybody was loving Joe Biden. Not so much now, eh? And so um, if, if you want to know, Joe Biden was president at Anita Hill, the whole Anita Hill thing. So now people are looking at him like with one eye open, like, no, no. And these things can change depending on who the players are, what the context is, what the situation is. Because people have long memories and they have receipts. And therefore, <laughs> listen to the conversation and listen to people who are not like you. You may not agree with what they say. You may not even understand why they're saying it. But it's not just a knee-jerk reaction. There are a lot of times historical reasons for the way people react to certain things. And you have to be mindful of that. Now, <laughs> those were both really fantastic points. I wanted to um, I guess take a quick moment to reflect on an anecdote that I was thinking might have come out today, but it, but it hadn't. We talked about it on the podcast um, at one point. It's 
I guess my takeaway, I'll tell you the takeaway up front, it's training and investing in your, in your employees. And the anecdote is the incident at the Bridgehead in Hindenburg some years back where a Bridgehead employee in response to someone having a mental health episode called the police and that resulted in him being killed, this black man being killed essentially in the streets outside the Bridgehead. I would won't go into Bridgehead partially for that reason, but more so for the response from the owner of Bridgehead, who essentially said, this is a one in a million incident. It's not, it happened yesterday, so fuck you for that. But also, we have a high turnover rate of employees, so we can't even, like she was asking you train people to correct for biases. Oh, well, we have a high turnover rate of employees. It's mostly students, they turn over every eight months, so we don't have to train them, no. First of all, as employers, you have an obligation to train people. That training is not just how do you cash out. It is also how do you respond to mental health first aid or how do you respond to critical incidences. If you have a street level business in a highly, like a densely populated area, that may be something important for you to look at. So think about training opportunities. Onboarding employees is just one part of it. Training happens constantly and there may be a need to do more of it. But the, the other piece around unconscious bias in that situation, the idea that calling the police is safe is also something I want people to just leave thinking about. It's calling police is sometimes very unsafe, especially for racialized people, especially for black men. Um, so that's one blind spot that I'm answering for you that's a blind spot. You probably have it. Don't your reaction should be called police. Sorry, that was really depressing. But <laughs> I would have been remiss had I not shared that with you. Can I add to that? Is that I actually knew the person who called the police because that's my bridgehead. Like I live really close to that, and I I'm like, girl, you got to see somebody to help you mentally because the guilt that she felt was palpable. So it's not, it's this, these have far reaching consequences. So uh, my takeaway, uh, my closing uh, thing is kind of building on what both Erica and Amy said, is that it's getting yourself involved in the conversation and training your staff, but it's also training yourself. So how do we do that? It's going places you don't normally, it's getting outside your comfort zone. It's getting involved in conversations or even just creeping on conversations that make you uncomfortable. It is reading the news that makes you uncomfortable, reading news from different sources. So if you read the Globe and Mail all the time, you read the Toronto Star, cool, awesome, great. Read Blavity.com. Read, I don't know, Press Progress. Read something more progressive, something written by people who are not at a publication that is not owned by Paul Godfrey uh, and not written by what's-his-face at the bureau here at the Globe and Mail? Robert Fife. Bob Fife. Don't, don't read things by Bob Fife. Don't, don't read McLean's. Okay? Read something else. Read something by someone who has gone through some shit. And read books by people who are not white. I know, yeah, you want to read that fun beach read, but also read that Tommy Hussey Coates book. Read So You Want to Talk About Race. I started the year off with four books by black authors, 
And it got to the point where I, I needed to read the, the, the beach read because I couldn't handle it because it was just so depressing. Um, but it, it was really important for me to understand and learn and figure out where these people were coming from and learn from their experiences. There are clips on YouTube, y'all. Like, it's very easy. <laughs> you know what I mean? There are also a good deal of digital publications, like you said, Press, press Progress, Blavity. Um, I think, uh, is it The Ringer or something like that? I'm sorry, The What? Oh, maybe not. The Ringer? Is it The Ringer? Anyway, there's, there's a lot of really, is it? Is, oh, yeah, sorry. Um, intercept, all those things, like, there is just this, the root is another one. Or I, podcasts like Code Switch. Or Bad and Bitchy. Yeah. <laughs> See how she did that? She ended the night with her podcast name. Uh, I, we want to thank you. The Guild wants to thank you uh, for coming, for giving us your time and your knowledge and your wisdom and your words. And we want to thank every, uh, everyone for coming and for giving us your money so we can buy the booze and the food to pay you, uh, or to feed you, sorry. Um, and uh, please stick around. Please have a drink and eat all the food. And th we make them stay for a half an hour. So uh, attack them, that question that you're like too shy or too embarrassed or too whatever to ask. You have to stay for half an hour. Uh, so come and ask them. Come ask us. We don't know the answer. Yeah. <laughs> For a wheelhouse cycle class. See what I did there? Yeah. yeah. You're the reason that she's like, can I come at nine? That's you. So thank you. Enjoy another drink. Enjoy some food. Thank you for coming. We'll be in touch. My bitch is bad and bullshit.